for we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. I'm interested. How many friends do you have? I'm interested to see who has the most friends on Facebook this morning. I have a thousand, even. I don't know how I got an even number, but a thousand even on Facebook. Who's got more than a thousand? I know my wife does. She's got two thousand and something. I looked. Who's got more than two thousand? All right. How many you got, Sherry? 2,100. More than 2,100? How many you got, Vicki? 2,295. How many you got? 33. Anybody got more than 33? 22. How many you got, Sin? Oh, how many do you have? 23. 2,557. I feel like we're playing The Price is Right. Like... Now, let me ask you, let me ask you, how many of you, how many of you, I do not have a thousand friends, like, in real life. I do not have a thousand friends in real life. Vicki and I, this, this, like, the 2000 Club back here, they don't really have that many friends. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just not possible. We don't have that many friends. But here's what social media does. Here's what social media does. I was looking through my friends list a little while ago, and um, I don't know who half these people are. I don't. I don't know who half these people are. I'm friends with them. They're people that I'm sure that from living in different places along the way that I've connected with them on social media. And they may live in Arkansas. They may live over in East Tennessee. They may live in Alabama, different places. And just because of, of, of being the minister in a local, local church or being the dad to some of the children, you know, I, I get these friend requests. But I'm looking through it and I'm like, I don't know who these people are. But I know everything about their life. How many of you, that's what your social media is? I don't know who these people are, but I know everything about their life, right? I know where they ate last night. I know where they went on vacation last week. I know the grades that their kids made on their report card. Don't have any idea what their kids' names are. But I know exactly, I know when they took cupcakes to school. Like, I know all of these things about these people, but I don't know these people, the extent of my relationship with these people is they wrote something, I read it, and I know a little bit about them. That is the sum total of social media today. Someone writes something about themselves, I read it, and I know a little bit about them. I feel connected to them. I feel like I have a relationship with them. But here's the thing, if we're not careful... If we're not careful, we can have the exact same relationship with God, right? Go to the next slide. I didn't bring my clicker down here with me. Go to the next slide. The next slide says, what if the extent of your relationship with God is he wrote some stuff and you've read it a little? Let that just kind of sink in for a moment. What if your relationship with God is he wrote some stuff and you've read a lot of it, and you can talk about it some. You can talk about it enough to convince somebody that, hey, I know who God is. How about this? I know about God. 
I know some of the things that he's done. I don't have a relationship with God, but my relationship with God is a lot like my relationship with people on social media. I know about them. I know some facts about them that I can sit here and talk about them to, to, to a very general kind of audience about some very general things. And I could even convince you that I know those people very well by those few little facts. And I, and I got to thinking as we're kind of getting into a new series called I Am, Right, we're going to look at some of the great I am statements about Jesus. I find this group of lessons important because I don't want us to be a group of people. I don't want us to be a group of Christians. I don't want us to be a church who says, I've got these things that Jesus has written, and I've read them, and I know some things about them, but I really don't know Jesus. I think it's so important for us to just from time to time stop pause, and just study Jesus. And I think there's some important reasons about that. Go to the next slide. One of the main reasons that I think it's important, especially as Christians, especially as Christ followers, it's important for us to remember these things because it's important to remember who it is that we are committed to. Wouldn't you agree with that? It's important for us to remember who it is that we're committed to. Above all, who is our commitment supposed to be to? It's supposed to be to Jesus, right? Our commitment is supposed to be to Jesus, but, it, but we talk about it in a lot of different ways. We talk about it in the idea of being committed to the local church. We talk about it about being committed to each other. We talk about it in a way of being committed to ministries. Let me ask you, can you be committed to this group of people and not be committed to Christ? Is it possible to do that? Can I be committed to Gary and Linda and say, hey, I'm going to support you. I'm going to comfort you if you need comfort, and I'm going to help you take care of things when you need them, and it just be because I'm a good person and have nothing to do with Jesus? Absolutely. I can be that way. Is it possible for me to be committed to a ministry and support that ministry and pour into that ministry and it be because I want the gratification of that and nothing to do with Jesus? Yes, it can. We need to be reminded from time to time that our ultimate commitment above everything else is to Jesus. And to do that, we need to study Him and understand who He is. I think another reason, especially today, that we need to study about Jesus is because there's a lot of fuzzy, views on Jesus, okay? There's a lot of fuzzy views on Jesus. And what I say is, I mean this, there, there are a lot of Jesuses out there by, by, by the world, okay? By the world. You've got Christmas Jesus. How many of you like Christmas Jesus? If I'm good all year long, I get presents. How many of you like Christmas Jesus? That's, that's a, a, a Jesus that Jesus, Christmas Jesus is also baby Jesus, right? There's no, there's no real commitment to baby Jesus. He's just warm and, and cuddly, and we've got a lot of babies in here, right? Warm and cuddly and, 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 and no real commitment. There's traditional Jesus, where it's all about doing church and not really about following Jesus. There's American Jesus, where, hey, we're, we're the second coming of Israel, right? We're God's chosen people. And, and we got to, God's, God's blessing us, just like, you know, there's, so there's this misconception of that. Maybe my personal favorite, there's therapeutic Jesus. Just, just relax, take a deep breath, let Jesus just wash over you in calmness. You know, there's Hollywood Jesus of, hey, just do what makes you happy. I've got him here if I need him, but just do what makes you happy. So, so in the world that we live in, there's a lot of fuzziness 
about Jesus. And as a church, as a Christian, you need to know who Jesus is. And to hear Jesus say, I am this, and I am this, and I am this, helps us narrow our focus on who Jesus really is. The last thing and the last reason we're going to have this study is because there are some people who are unconvinced about who Jesus is. And I want you to know this morning, as we read Scripture, and we mentioned this last week, we mentioned this last week as we, we wrapped up our study on prayer, and we talked about the idea that the study that we read about King Hezekiah has a biblical context, but it also has historical support, all right? So we can know that that biblical story is backed up by a historical story, and we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt this event happened. And so that brings some truth uh, that, that we can really hold on to, and we can know that as we read Scripture, it is truth. As we read about Jesus, we can know that Jesus is not just a man that's talked about in the Bible, but Jesus is a man that's talked about in historical writings as well. We can know that Jesus is and was a real person. We can know that beyond the shadow of a doubt. And that real person comes along and says, I am this, and I am this, and I am this. And I hope that as we study these things, we study these things in a way that maybe if you're unconvinced, to, to commit to Jesus, that if you've never made that commitment in the first place, that through this study you'll learn who Jesus himself says that he is so that you can begin to follow him in a great and powerful way. I want you to open your Bibles. That kind of lays the groundwork for our, our study as a whole. But today in particular, I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we find ourselves in a, in a study that, that or, or in a passage that we're very familiar with, the study of the woman at the well. There's probably not a lot of things that we're going to look at uh, as we read through this text that, that you have not necessarily thought about before or haven't heard before, but hopefully we can bring in some thoughts and ideas at the end of this lesson that gives you a greater image of who um, Jesus is. And, and I appreciate the, the scripture reading this morning. The scripture reading of, of when, when God tells Moses, go and tell the Israelites that I am sent you. Okay, And that's, that's the same word here that Jesus is going to use in this passage. He's basically just going to say, I am. I am he. I am who you think you're talking about. This God that you think that you've got figured out, that is me. I am. And it's such a powerful statement at the end of this particular passage. Let's begin. We're going to read the first few verses and make some, uh, make some observations here. Uh, now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Let's look at verse 4. He had to go through Samaria. This is a, a, a great... Um, a great passage that really sets the stage, a great verse that sets the stage for our story here. Because when, when you read this idea that he had to go through Samaria, what do you think that meant he had to do? He had to go where? Through, through enemy territory. But did he have to or did he want to? Think about that for a second. Did he have to or did he want to? Well, Scripture said he had to, so... We have to believe that he had to, but he had to not because he had to. Does that make sense? Anybody confused with that statement? He had to because he had to. Because you see, there's a lot of different ways to get to where he's going. This is a map of, of the Bible times here that, of, of where, 
where he's going, and he's starting down south, okay, and we're going north, and we're going to go right through Samaria. That, the quickest way to go somewhere is in a what? Straight line. But to go through a straight line, he had to go where? Through enemy territory. He had to go through Samaria. He had to go through the place of, of, of the people that we're not going to have anything to do with. So instead, what people would do, so they wouldn't go through this unholy place, they would go this red route here. They would go this Transjordan way. They'd go across the Jordan, go through Perea, and back across the Jordan because they didn't want to go anywhere that wasn't holy. So they'd go all the way around, all this extra effort, to get to where they were going so they'd feel better about themselves. I think when it says that Jesus had to go through there, I think that's a ministry concept. He had something he needed to accomplish, needed to accomplish. He had something he needed to do. It wasn't because it was the only way he had to go. He could have gone the other way. And I'm sure there were times in his journey in his life that he did go the other way. But this particular day in this particular moment, because he's God, because he was here on a mission, because he had a purpose, I have to do it this way. Let's, let's keep reading together as we go through this text, and, and, and let's, let's kind of pull some thoughts, and then we're going to bring it all together at the end. So, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his, sons Joseph, his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, you've probably heard this before, but we'll mention it. Why? Uh, is he sitting down because he's thirsty? What time of day is it? It is, what time of day is it? It is about noon, about noon. Um, the last few weeks, y'all, it's been just hot, right? It's just been hot. And there's a lot of people that if you're going to work outside, if you're going to do something outside, you do it when? Early in the morning or late at the evening, okay? We were, we, we, we've been talking about, you know, Someone asked me, they're like, hey, you've lost a little bit of weight. Are you exercising? <laughs> Not that committed, okay? Not that committed. Like, you know, my dad's like, you need to get out and walk. I'm like, it's 110 degrees outside. I am not that committed. Some of you are, and that's great. I'm going to start exercising and walking when it's 70 degrees outside, all right? That's how committed I am. Sin gets it, right? Like, I'm going to start. Now, I may be that committed next summer. I'm not making any promises. Okay, but it's the middle of the day. It's not the time of day that you go out and you do strenuous things. It's not the time of day that you go out and you, 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 you work. And that's what happens when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. So it's the middle of the day, and you've got this woman who I can't help but think that Jesus knew was going to be there. That's why he had to go, right? But here comes a woman in the middle of the day. That's what's out of place in our story. That's what's out of place. To us, it doesn't seem out of place because we may have heard this story so many times. But in this particular moment, in this particular story, understand that in this day and age, people didn't come draw water during the middle of the day unless it was an emergency or unless you were trying to avoid something. They came early in the day or they came late at night. So Jesus is sitting here. He's wanting something to drink. And here comes this woman in the middle of the day to draw water. And Jesus looks at her, okay? And Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Not a, not a very uncommon question, right? We're sitting by a well. I'm thirsty. Will you give me something to drink? The woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Now, 
In class this morning, we talked about labels. And we talked about how sometimes in life, labels can cause division. And, and the way we kind of ended up talking about it was go back in your mind, and some of you are there, but go back in your mind to sitting at the cafeteria table in high school. You're sitting at the cafeteria table in high school, and you look around, and people are sitting in groups, right? And most of the time, the Alex called them the core athletes, the important athletes, the baseballs, basketball, football. He says those are the those are the real athletes. They're sitting at a table. He's embarrassed now. And and then you've got your other athletes, your tennis players, your golfers. You know that that was Alex's words, not mine. The whole class heard it. Um, so they're all sitting at a table. And then you've got your band kids. And Andrea said, you know, when I was in band, it was cool. I tell her that's what all band kids tell each other, that we're cool. When I was in there, it was cool. I was a drummer, so I was the coolest of the band geeks. So we're all kind of at a table. Then you got all your smart kids at a table. So you, you get it, right? You get it. And there's not supposed to be a whole lot of crossover between the groups. Like, I'm not going to go sit at Alex's table because I'm not cool enough to sit at Alex's table. And if Alex came and sat at our table, people would be like, what's wrong with Alex? Like, why is he not sitting where he's supposed to sit? And so that's what we've got here. We've got some labels going on in this story. And culture and dynamics say that Jesus is a Jewish man and he's not allowed to talk to a Samaritan, much less a Samaritan woman. And Jesus is coming into this moment and he's blowing it all up. And he's saying, I don't care about labels. I don't care about who you are. I don't care about all these things that everybody else says is important. All Jesus is worried about at this point in the story is he, Jesus has a need. What's Jesus' need? He's what? Jesus is thirsty, and he wants something to drink. And you've got a bucket, there's a water hole, let's see what we can work out, all right? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If, if you write in your Bible or you highlight things, there, there's your first highlight word today, new. That's, that's the whole point of this lesson series, is getting to know who Jesus is. As, as we get into the rest of the story, you're going to see this woman has a concept of God. She has an understanding of God. There, there's some skewed aspects of it. There's some parts of it that she's struggling with. But she understands who God is. She understands the significance of Abraham and the well that they're at, or Jacob and the well that they're at. Okay, But he says, look, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you, if you've got who I was. I'm not just a Jewish man. There, there's, more, there's more to me. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from, from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? So you've got Jesus here. Jesus is talking in the spiritual. This woman's still in the physical. Okay, Jesus is trying to say, hey, there's more to this conversation we're having than just the physicalness of I'm thirsty, I need something to drink. Jesus' humanity is coming out in this moment. He does need something to drink, but he also understands there's a greater thing at stake here. The spiritualness of this is what is the most important. 
Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus is, is talking what? Spiritual. And this woman's still thinking physical, okay? She's going to get there. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. How many of you, thought, how many of you think that probably stung a little bit? That right there is more than likely why she's at the well at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. This right here. Because she has a label. She has a label. She can't keep things together. She keeps going through marriages. She's living with somebody. She has a label and she's trying to stay away from people that label her and treat her different. And so what does she do? Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. What does she do? What naturally happens to us when we feel attacked or we feel like someone's kind of, as, as my aunt would say, in our hula hoop? What do we tend to do? Change the subject. That's what she does, right? You have stepped in my hula hoop and now all of a sudden I feel uncomfortable, so what am I going to do? I'm going to change the subject. I'm going to start talking about the spiritual, just like you are woman, Jesus replied. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seek. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. I wonder if Jesus let it set for a set, just set for a second. I wonder if He leaned back on the well. I wonder if he maybe sat up on the edge of the well to really get her attention. And he looks at her and he says, Then Jesus declared, I, the one you speak, the one who speaks to you, I am he. I wonder what she thought. I wonder if it clicked. I wonder if it connected. We're not going to read the rest of the story, but what I love about the rest of the story is if you flip over, into uh, to chapter 4, his disciples come back. And in verse 39, it said, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. What does he do? He had to go through Samaria. Why? Because he had to meet this woman so that she could go bring other people to him. What, what, a, great, what a great moment. Okay, What a great moment. But the question is, what does it mean to us? What does it mean to us? Well, let's look at, scripturally, three things. Got to be three things to be a sermon. Three things this morning that it means for him to say, I am he, even to us today. All right, here's the first one. Your deepest thirst can't be quenched by anything in this world. 
Your deepest thirst can't be quenched by anything in this world. So this woman has a problem. She, in, in, in her particular life, she's got a man problem. She's trying to find fulfillment in these relationships. And we, we do the same thing. We put a lot of value in relationships, don't we? Our relationships, our marriages, our family, they define who we are. They can bring us great value in life or they can bring us great heartache in life. Uh, and, and from a very young age, from a very young age, we talk about picking the right mate, picking the right partner, making sure you, you do these things in the right way. Our culture is all about, you know, hey, make sure you do this the right because these things can make your life or they can break your life. You know, I think of this scene right here. Where'd it go? Get all amped up and nothing works right. There it is. Nope. Now we're gonna go. We're gonna go 15 slides. All right. What song is she singing right here? Who can tell me? Who can tell me what song Snow White's singing right here? Anybody? Nobody knows. I am highly disappointed in you all. Someday my prince will come. Someday my prince will come. My life right now. I'm living in this shack with all these crazy guys. They've got funny names. You know, I'm living out here. I mean, life is good, but it's not great. But one day, one day, this man's going to come into my life. He's going to sweep me off my feet. He's going to be my prince. And everything in my life is going to be just perfect and wonderful. And that's a movie, and that's funny, and that's a story, and that's, that's, that's entertainment. But if we're not careful, we will put that much emphasis in money. We'll put that much emphasis in relationships. We'll put that much emphasis in job positions. We'll say, if this will work out, if I can get this in line and I can get this in order, then all of my problems are going to take care of themselves. I, I feel so empty. I feel so void in my life. And if I have this car, if I have this size house, or if my kids will play this sport and be this successful, everything will feel better. Everything will be better. But the truth is, Nothing in this world will ever truly quench your thirst because there's always going to be something better out there by worldly standards. You're always going to see something that you want more. You're always going to see something that looks better than what you have right now. And in our story, this woman goes from relationship to relationship to relationship trying to be fulfilled. And it never works. And still, she's alone. You can have everything this world offers. Everything. And you can still feel useless and worthless and empty. But Jesus says, come unto me. Just come to me. I've got you. I'm going to fill you. I'm going to fill you with something that the world cannot even begin to understand. And what I think of when I hear him say, I'm going to fill you with something, I hear him say, I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to pour my spirit into you. And when I pour my spirit into you, the things that are going to grow out of your life are love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, understanding, self-control, all of these fruits of the Spirit, you're going to be satisfied. You're going to have relationships that matter because they're grounded in the Spirit, not grounded in the world. So if you're chasing the world this morning, just know you're never going to catch it. 
It's a mirage. It's out there. You see it, but it's never going to truly bring you long-lasting satisfaction. It can bring you momentary satisfaction. Yeah, absolutely. But never for your life. Only Jesus brings us that type of satisfaction. The next thing I want you to think about is God wants to touch your wounds in order to heal them. God wants to touch your wounds in order to heal them. So on my arm, right here, you, you can't see it from there. But on my arm right here, there's a scar that starts here and runs all the way around my wrist and ends over here. And I got that scar by running in the church building. So when I see kids running the church building, I'm like, stop, don't run. Because that's been a very bad experience for Matthew. Um, I've had stitches one time in my life. It was on that night. 350 stitches. One moment, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. 350 stitches. Ran it through a window of a door. I was chasing a girl. She went through a classroom. She shut the door behind her. I put my arm out to stop the door. My arm goes through the glass. Slices my arm open. Uh, 350 stitches. Now, um, the pain shots that they gave me worked great for like eight hours. But after that wore off and it's all bandaged up and it's all taken care of, I was very protective of that wound. Couldn't you imagine? I mean, very protective. I didn't want my siblings around. I didn't want people around. I didn't want anybody to shake my hand. Uh, I, was, I was very protective of that wound. But why? Because if you touched it, what happened? It hurts. Danny goes, it hurts. You, got it. you get it, Danny, don't you? Because it hurts. There are things in our life that, that have caused us hurt. There are things in our life that are, may not be physical wounds. Wounds, I get those words mixed up. Wounds, but they're emotional. And we don't want people to mess with them. We don't want people to mess with them. And that's a challenge at church, right? Because we're in the messing with stuff business. We, we, we're here to stir things up so that you can figure things out. And that's what God says. I'm here even though it's going to hurt, even though it's going to sting. You cannot walk through your life carrying all this emotional baggage that you might have walked in here with this morning. You can't do it. It's going to slow you down. It's going to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. It's going to keep you from living this life and living it more abundantly, which is why He said He came. So that you can have life and have it to its fullness. So he says, look, you may come in here this morning and you may be carrying some garbage with you. You may be carrying some hurts. You may be carrying some anxieties. You may be carrying some struggles. We may have to unpack those things. And it could be hard. And it can hurt. But God says, let me do it in a loving way, in a caring way, in a forgiving way, so that we can unpack those things, put those things in their proper place, leave those things where they need to be left, so that you can walk out free. So that you can walk out with this, this peace that surpasses all understanding. I think this right here is one of the main reasons a lot of people don't want to go to church. Because they're all about the, hey, life's going to be great, life's going to be grand, everything's going to be wonderful, just come to church. But to, to get to that point, once you get here, you have to start unpacking that life. You have to start letting go of things and putting things in their proper place, and that can be hard and painful. 
And Jesus touches it hard on this girl. He asks her the most difficult question. Where's your husband? And she doesn't lie. I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right. This is your situation. This is your exposed nerve. But he sat there and he loved her through it. And many people came to believe because of it. So when we allow Jesus to heal us, it puts us in a better place and it allows us to help other people come to a better place. So let's talk about the last thing here and then the lesson will be yours. A walk with God always includes a walk to Samaria. A walk with God always includes a walk to Samaria. You've realized that, hey, my thirst is only quenched by God. I'm here, all right? I'm seeking that. I'm filled with that which is of God. We have, we have unpacked these things in my life, okay? He has touched my wounds and He has healed them and everything is great. But now, here's what we do a lot of times. Hey, now I've got God. Hey, God, my whole life, I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to be this. I want to go to college and do this. I want to have this job. I'm glad, God, that I have you by my side to bless me as I go do the things that I want to do. Are we ever guilty of that? Are we ever guilty of that? Yeah. We're guilty of that. Go back and think about the picture, the map. Did I put it in here? No. Think about the map. There is a direct line to get from one place to another, but you have to go through an unholy place, right? And he says, I had to go. A lot of times our life is saying, God, I know that maybe you want me to serve over here, but I'm not comfortable with that. I don't have the gifts for that. I don't have the talents for that. I don't have the ability to do that. So if you'll just stay right here with me, I'm going to walk all the way around over here and I'm going to serve you the way I want to serve you. We get to the same place, right? Listen, as we grow in our faith, as we mature in our faith, as we understand who Jesus is, we have to understand that there's going to be times that he's going to ask us to serve him in a way that we may not be comfortable with. It may be out of our comfort zone. It may be out of our current, you know, gifts and abilities right at the moment. But he says, hey, I'm putting you in this moment for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's going to help you grow. You're going to grow out of this. You're going to become stronger out of this. You're going to become better out of this. And secondly, you're going to touch more people in this challenging moment than you ever would just being comfortable. How many people never come to Jesus because we are more focused on being comfortable than being challenged? This building's comfortable. It's comfortable, isn't it? It's easy to come in here and be comfortable Christians and be like, oh man, look, you know what? I mean, we're here. I mean, we would love to fill this place up if, up if people would come. The people won't come. Well, maybe the reason they're not coming is because you're not asking them. Because you're not comfortable with asking someone to join you. Whose fault is that? Their fault or is it our fault? I think we need to focus on ourselves and say it may be challenging, it may be hard, but if God calls me to do it, I'm not going to say no. That's what I love about Abraham. Abraham, he was a man of great faith, not because he was perfect, not because he was perfect, not because he did everything right, but when God said, go do this, what did Abraham say every time? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll pick on Alex again one more time to make him look a little bit better. I called Alex the other day. I said, hey, we got this Duncan booth. We need some people to sit in this Duncan booth. Y'all, Alex sat in that Duncan booth for 10 minutes, most terrifying 10 minutes of his life. The unknown scared him to death. 
and he's hollering around, around at people, hey, so-and-so, come get in. Hey, so you said you would do this. Come get in. Like Culver said he would come get in, right? And then he gets there, and Coach Culver goes, mm-mm, not going to do it. Not getting up there. You're doing a great job. Alex goes, I'll do it. It's uncomfortable, but I'll do it. And all these football boys are hanging around. They're all like, Coach DeLeon, you know, and then those boys, guess what those boys end up doing? Because he got in, what do they do? Hey, we'll get in and be the guy in the Duncan booth. So they crawled in. When you step out of your comfort zone, it opens you up to the opportunity to touch people and reach people that you never thought that you could bring to Christ. People that might not ever hear about Jesus. And they won't if we stay in our comfort zone. But what does the end of this story say? What does the end of this story say? Many people believed. Why? Because of what Jesus did? Yeah, but where did it start? Because of this woman's testimony, because of her interaction with Jesus, she went out and brought other people. So let us get to know who Jesus is so that we can then go tell other people about that same Jesus. Does that sound like a plan? All right, let's close with a word of prayer this morning. God, we thank you so much for the chance to be in your presence to be in this room with, with people who love you and care for you and, and want to be with you. God, we're grateful for Jesus this morning. We're grateful for his sacrifice, his willingness to die on the cross for us. We're grateful for his willingness to not worry about labels, the labels that divide us so many times. He simply said, I came to seek and save the lost. That's the only label that Jesus cares about. It should be the only label that we care about, those who were saved and those who are lost. And help us as saved Christians to go out and look for those who are lost, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when it's out of our, our comfort zone, to crawl in the middle of people's lives, get to know them, help them sort out their hurts and their pains in a loving and Christian way so that they can follow you and be saved by you. God, I pray for those in this room this morning who do not know Jesus. Who do not know the glory of the cross. Who do not understand the greatness of his mercy. Who have not made that commitment to have their sins washed away. And I pray this morning, God, that they will listen to your spirit if they feel convicted. To get to know you, not just as a person, but as a savior. And have their sins washed away so that they can be eternally yours forever. Be with those that may have been walking with you, God, but says, hey, I'm going to go do it my way. And they walk away. Be with them and help them come back to the great I am, to the cross, to the Messiah this morning. Thank you so much for this moment. May it draw us closer to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Mortals join the mighty chorus Which and Twitter. the morning stars began For the love Be sure to join us again And until then, 
remember to love like Jesus. Amen.